When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode number 35 of Bleeding Blue, and today we are going to have some laughs and share some stories on the New York Yankees. First, how George Steinbrenner created a team full of speedsters and transformed the Bronx Bombers to the Bronx Burners. Also, the 1981 MLB strike and what we can learn from it today. And lastly, how one of the worst Yankees free agent signings and the Boston Red Sox led to the best Yankees team nickname. So, without further ado, let's bleed blue. I like how you do the beginning of Barracuda. Yeah. But that's not literally, that's nothing. That's, I guess maybe it's somewhat close to what we actually do, but. No, no, no. That, that's just, that would be my intro song. Oh, that's, oh, that's your intro song. And then I play my intro song and then I'll sing another intro song after the intro song. And then the podcast will be over. Yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, uh, we are here for the New York Yankees. How do we like it? We like it. We love it. We want some more of it. We want some Yankees baseball, baby. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately, there's like zero news, right? Am I am I right in saying that there's just no news to talk about? No, there's absolutely positively no news to talk about because Manny Machado and Bryce Hopper still do not want to sign anywhere. And uh, this episode now, granted, this episode is being recorded on February 1st, which is a Friday. It will be released on Monday, February 4th. So pitchers and catchers report in nine days. And I'm willing to put some money on it that now watch me be wrong. I'm willing to put some money on it that uh, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper will not be on a major league baseball team even nine days before pitchers and catchers report, at least for the Yankees. So isn't that something? Let's see what happens, but I think you're right. We'll see, though. Vegas seems to think that Harper is going to sign in a certain uh, certain place. Which oh, place is that? I don't know, man. Might be uh, near Philly. Yeah, so since there's basically no news, there's like nothing, we are going to have some fun today, and we're going to tell some stories. We're going to go through history, and the, one of the best things about this episode is going to be each one of these stories from Yankees history Definitely 100% relates to baseball or and or the Yankees today. So that's like uh, that's why I'm one of the main reasons why I'm so excited about this episode. So really take kind of like what we're saying about these stories. And that's the kind of meaning and that's kind of the base that they have behind them. So basically, this whole structure of today's episode is I basically looked at and Renato and Brett had the idea of looking at 
the Yankees' worst free agent signings of all time. Okay, so I went on to Pinstripe Alley, which Renato has an iffy opinion on it. But yeah, I, we, both, we both disagree on this. This is a this is not a good list. We'll get to the list at the end because I feel like the stories that come from the list and some information that you can kind of pull from the events of some of the free agents that are on this list, I feel like that's way more entertaining than the list. So we'll get to the list at the end, and you guys can be outraged by that. But but I have to give credit. It's by Andrew Mearns, 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 Andrew Mearns, December 29th, 2014, he published it. So obviously the likes of a Chris Carter um, is not on the list where maybe you can argue he can make a top 10 list, even though the Yankees didn't invest anything financially in him. It was still a terrible free agent signing. So well, maybe part of if, it's the money, though. Yeah, part of it is the it's money. The but, money. But if you were to have an updated list, maybe he would be on it. Maybe he wouldn't. Anyway, but basically... What I want to get right into, actually, no, before I get into it, Brett, how are you today? Well, that was a that was a pretty uh, direct uh, about face there, but yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty well. I always you always have to check in with the with everybody before you actually kind of like get started. You have to see where your mind's at because I know for a fact that Renato's a little tired. I I am very sleepy. Not gonna lie, I'm yeah. feeling energetic. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk some uh, Yankees history, and I feel like this is like the first time as a podcast. Instead of just like reacting to news or reacting to what's going on, we're just kind of like sitting back and we're just gonna like talk about like things that maybe we don't know a lot about, but we're gonna learn more about it. So you should have brought beer to this. <laughs> if this just feels like a gathering, little little cerveza, baby. Let's get let's. You know what you get, bro? What? We, we should get those like some sliders, you know, get some beer, some sliders, you know, and then pop on the fire. You have exactly. a YouTube, have a YouTube video of a fire going That'd be like, epic. like a 10 hour video of a, of a fire. So that's what we should like, do. like the, that paper mill that, that burned down. Oh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no building fires. No, no house. No, none of that. None of that. Oh, oh, like, like a campfire. Yeah, like a like a yes, like a YouTube video of a campfire for ten hours. That has to be out there. It's like you know, you listen to the sounds of the beach for ten hours. Like they have videos on that in YouTube. That's what we have to get with the sliders and the beer. And there's also those repetition videos too, where like uh, where like SpongeBob says uh, stepping on the beach. Nope, for, not for ten hours. Now, now you've taken me out of this uh, out of this calm setting, and now you've got SpongeBob in my head. So thank you. So, fellas, let's get into – we're going to go in chronological order here. We're going to start with the 1981 strike. How does that sound? Sure. Wow. <laughs> A ringing endorsement from Renato. <laughs> wow. So, based off of this Pinstripe Alley top 10 free agent list, I ran – I kind of went down into the rabbit hole, and I got into the Major League Baseball strike. Now, there's a – Seems like it's a really good book. It's called Split Season 1981 by Jeff Katz. He is, or at one point, was the mayor of Cooperstown. Now, this isn't like a, yeah, this isn't like a Poxitoni Phil kind of title where it's a, he was the fake mayor. No, he was the mayor of the town of Cooperstown. Cooperstown. He actually had, and I guess he's also like a baseball historian too. So he basically describes in the 1981 season was so, so interesting. So the Yankees, made it to the World Series that year, 
lost to the Dodgers in six games. They actually took a two to nothing lead in the series, and then they eventually lost to the Dodgers. And there's a whole bunch of fun triple down effects of what happened in the 1982 season, which is where we can get to the free agency. But anyway, let's kind of set the stage and get into story time. The owners had their first free agent draft of November 4th, 1986. Whoa, whoa, time, time out. Time out. Draft. Yes, that was a thing. Explain more, please. That would be pretty epic, actually. Think about it. it. it no, imagine like Machado and Harper going to a draft right now, bro. <laughs> but the thing is, you'd have to go by, you know, you know, worst worst record goes first. Yeah. That, but, that. but if they couldn't pay for these people. I like this. Then they would keep falling and they would get to the big market teams anyway. Bruh. Yeah. I, let's let's do it. I think I think we we just saw the Machado and Harper problem right there. <laughs> Yeah, well, the Phillies would get them. I mean, unless I'm well, there are some big market teams that were that were maybe worse than the Phillies. We should do this. We should do this. We we we'll reformat this. I don't even care what it was. We should do it like I just described it. It would do a, a separate and, and, podcast and, and, and simulate a draft. Yes, that'd of, be cool. Of the free agents that were available, we can either do it the ones that were available this past off season or maybe the next one. And we, and we we could get like Boca to come on, get other people to come on. They could be GMs of the respective teams. That'd be cool, actually. Yeah. What what, what do you think about the Justin sound of the? Yeah. So we could basically maybe even do it the way that I think kind of what you described was kind of what they actually did, where oh. there was the so-called free agent re-entry draft. The first one was held November fourth, like I said, in New York, limited to the twenty-four existing clubs at the time. Mm-hmm. The clubs drafted in inverse order of the 1976 standings. So just like, you know, you look at the NFL draft, the worst record picks first, and then from increasing order from there based off a record. And, all right, yeah, so the clubs drafted in inverse order of the 1976 standings at no cost and selected negotiation rights to as many players as eligible. And when a player was chosen by 12 clubs, other than his own team, his name was removed from the list. Um, so 24 players in 1976 took advantage of the new system. Um, frantic bidding followed, as you can imagine. It was the beginning of this, they called it a salary revolution. Record-setting multi-year contracts sent salaries soaring above high, never before. The average annual pay in 1976 was $51,500, and that jumped to 76000 the next season. And a lot of people will tell you, especially fans of um, smaller smaller market teams that had some great players, yeah, that was really the downfall or the beginning of the downfall of success for the, for a team like the Orioles, who ha- who had just developed players up to the farm system, and they were guaranteed to stay on the Orioles because they couldn't go anywhere else. You know, now now you introduce free agency. Now you really start tilting it. Now there's an upper class of baseball, you know, in terms of wealth and everything. So in the first year of 1976, the Yankees actually got Reggie Jackson from this re-entry draft. Five years, $3 million total package. Um, Raleigh Fingers. Oh, my boy, Raleigh Fingers. I love him. Six-year deal, $1.6 million. He went to San Diego. And I think that's uh, that's all the major names that were on that. But that is originally how the reentry draft went. 
So, so that kind of, so hopefully that kind of answers your, answers your question there, Renato. So they had the first re-entry free agent draft 1976. And by 1981, owners were throwing money around in ways that shocked themselves as owners and even the players and realizing that owners couldn't control themselves. They attempted to collectively bargain a way into controlling themselves and to make free agency into a trade, be compensated for losing future players if they leave in free agency. So basically, owners were frantically spending, and they had this kind of fear of losing their stars through free agency, so they would overpay guys to try and, and make them stay. Are we, are we here? Yes. Okay. Why, why, why wouldn't it be, be here, Bob? We're here. We're live. I love Raleigh Fingers. Like He was one of the best lead pitchers of, of his generation. Good. So a few notes about the 1981 season. Um, there were multiple, multiple storylines. That was a great season before the strike during the summer. So the Dodgers ace, Fernando Velen... Oh, my God. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Fernando Valenzuela. He was dominating the league, and actually he came out of nowhere. The Dodgers were having some injury troubles with their rotation, so he actually got the opening day nod, and he was a nobody at the start of the season, but he dominated the league, and Pete Rose was on pace to beat Stan the Man Musual's NL hits record. Justin. Yes. Fernando Valenzuela is probably one of the best lefty pitchers of, of that era. I mean, Fernando was, was e- easily one of the best pitchers like that anyone has witnessed in a long time. Just dominant, nasty, fierce. So Pete Rose was one hit away from breaking Stan the Man's NL hits record. And then guess what happens before he gets that next hit? What would that be, Justin? There would be a nearly 50-day Major League Baseball strike that would happen. Oh, no. So the first half of the 1981 season ended June 12th, and the second half began in August, but this is where the fun begins in June. So that resulted, well, basically, or before I get to that, I forgot my notes that I took. So the first half of the 81 season ended June 12th. Second half began in August. So basically that resulted in an interesting format as to how the playoffs would work. Playoffs? Oh, my gosh. There they go. Oh, my gosh. Playoffs? All right. So basically the overall goal was to help ratings put more butts in the seat. But actually, in actuality, it it didn't really even matter that much. So the format basically was you take the winner of the divisions and you take the winner of the American League divisions and the National League divisions of the first half of the season and they automatically have a playoff berth. Automatically, they're in. Now, what this basically means is that also the second half winners of the American League divisions and the National League divisions, they would get in the playoffs and then basically Major League Baseball added another round of playoffs. Playoffs. They added another round of playoffs. So it would basically be higher ratings. There would be more playoff games, more playoff series. But also, if there was a team that was not doing well over the first half of the season, 
like I know the Mets weren't doing weren't doing so hot during the first half of the season. It gives teams on the lower end of the standings an incentive to play well in the second half because they could get a playoff spot. So actually, it's funny because the Reds and the Cardinals were two te- were two of the best teams in the National League that year based off of their cumulative record. They were the two best teams, and they did not reach the playoffs. They missed the playoffs. And it was actually funny because the Reds, the president of the Reds at that time, he said that this system is stupid. You're basically, you know, incentivizing teams that won their divisions the first half of the season. You're incentivizing them. There's no need for them to play. This is stupid. So it's funny how he came out with that criticism right away. And then the Reds actually didn't wind up making the playoffs, even though they had the best, they had the best winning record in the, in the NL. So I thought that was funny. That's went over my head completely. But uh, but basically, Brett, we kind of talked about this before the podcast. What was the playoff format before the nineteen eighty one season? Before they kind of added these extra rounds? Well, I tell you what, it used to be back when men were men. It used to be the two best teams duking it out for the pennant. You know, the Giants win the pennant. A famous call. You know, it, it was the two best teams for the pennant, and they and they played the World Series after that. Until those uh, money grubbing owners decided that they needed a uh, needed other other teams to come in too, needed needed a divisional round. No, and that was really that was you talked about money grabbing, money grubbing owners, and that was really part of it. That's so part of it, especially once free agency came around, where owners were throwing money to try to get these investments back, and as they were uncontrollably throwing players their throwing money players' ways, they needed a way to, how can we get back more investment on the capital that we're putting into players? So adding more playoff series and adding more games to a season and getting more people in the seats, that was definitely a way to do it. Now, in terms of the actual strike, this is significant. Has anybody ever heard of Marvin Miller? Who? Hold on. I I think I have, actually. Oh, I think, I, yeah, given my druthers, I'd rather see Marvin Miller as a Hall of Famer than Bowie Kun or Kuhn. That's off of the book, the the split season, 1981. That's a book that that's a that's a quote from the book that I. But baseball has its orthodoxy and commissioners tend to get in. Yes. Yes. So Marvin Miller was um, originally from the U.S. Steel. He's from the Steel Corporation and the Steel Movement in the United States. He was the hero of the players union and the players movement during the strike. He explained labor law. He wasn't really necessarily like maybe like a lead negotiator, but he was definitely like an educator. He educated the players. He educated the players union on labor law. He gave them an opportunity to achieve more freedom, flexibility within their jobs. And of course, more money because what would, what would a good, uh, a labor deal, and a, and a strike be without earning more money. You got to earn that money. Get, the, get those greens. So Marvin Miller was public enemy number one to the owners and the MLB commissioner. He and the players from the players union were determined to expose owners as hypocritical, greedy, and confused decision makers that were silly enough to trust their own fortunes. So the players were arguing that any form of compensation given to the owners in unrestricted free agency would ultimately undermine free agency. That makes sense, right? Makes sense. Playoffs. The owners were trying to 
they wanted some sort of compensation back because they were losing free agent stars. So the players union's like, no, 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 we don't want any of that. That's not fair. That undermined that ultimately undermines what unrestricted free agency is. Yeah. And one of the and one of the reasons why owners were so willing to spend in the early days is because they wanted to keep their distinguished stars. Yeah. Yeah. So that basically you can kind of that mirrors today where it's almost like an opposite where that's way different than today where you were seeing right now nine days until spring training or at least where we're recording on Friday, there's 13 days in still spring training, and Manny Machado, Bryce Harper aren't signed. They're two of the biggest stars. But you know what so, the difference is? What's the difference? The dawn of statistics. Mm. The dawn the of analytics, maybe. analytics-driven baseball. So this is going to lead us into a conversation about the 1982 Yankees, but we'll get there. I have to, we have to finish the story about how the strike ends. From 1978 to 1981, 47 players negotiated contracts over $1 million. 47? Yes. That's it? Oh, that's well, that's that was a lot of money for back then that's for baseball it. players. That's it, bud. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I off. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So on July 31st, 1981, the strike finally ends. A compromise that was reached that said when a team loses a premium free agent, they can be compensated by drawing from a pool of players left unprotected by all clubs. So correct me if I'm wrong, and please, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Follow me on Twitter, at jpenix 74 and tell me I'm wrong. I was trying to research and find what this pool of players left unprotected by all clubs, what would that mean? And I think the thing that came to my mind the first was the Rule 5 draft. Yep, exactly. So the Rule 5 draft is based off of the 40. If if you have 40 men on your roster, you cannot participate in the Rule 5 draft. But if you have lost a player or if you have taken a player off of your 40-man roster, you can participate in that draft. So, And those guys are coming off of other Major League Baseball clubs and other coming off of other Major League Baseball teams. So... I guess if I had assimilated to that, so I guess you said I'm right, and I'm glad I'm right. But also, I didn't say you were right. I'm just saying oh. I, I was thinking of the Rule Five draft. I, I didn't say I I didn't say you were right. Okay, but it makes sense yeah. to make that connection. It does. Okay, it does. But most importantly, the 1981 strike. This started restricting baseball players, Major League Baseball players that they cannot enter free agency until they have six or more years of major league service. This is where it started, fellas. So hold on, hold on. Before that, there weren't any rules surrounding free agency in terms of years that you had no. to be on a team? No, because they had that re-entry draft where I guess if your contract was up they, from the initial contract that you signed with the club, mm. it would just be recycled back into this pool, and that's why the bidding wars would be so high. Yeah, at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this kind of gave, you know, players a little bit more stability because then also you arbitration. I don't know when arbitration and all that starts, but it kind of gives teams a little bit more stability where you have the six years of major league service before you can enter. And then also it, it didn't give the owners a a reward for losing a big time free agent. So. If you lost a big-time free agent, you lost the big-time free agent. It's not like you get anything significant in return. Okay, great. So apparently, this was a this was a funny kind of like 
seen at the ceremonial photo that usually takes place after two sides reach an agreement on something. Apparently, owner's negotiator Ray Graby and Marvin Miller refused to pose with each other. Refused. They refused to pose with each other and have any kind of like shaking of the hands or any kind of photo together at the traditional peace signing. (laughs) So I like that. I like that. So this was not a fun negotiation time. So don't pretend to be friends if you're not. Yeah. So basically at the time, this was seen as a major victory for the players because the owners were not necessarily setting as much compensation as they wanted. But looking at this now and at the current state of baseball, is this being manipulated for the owners where initially this was like a big win for the players union, right? This was a big win for the players union to have this six years of control. But now is this system being manipulated? And I think this is a pretty easy answer. Is this system of the six years of team control being manipulated by the owners? How, what are you getting at? How so? In terms of like, you look at the Astros a couple years ago, right? In 2014, they had a payroll Mm -hmm. of $44 million and they won 70 something games, you know? Yeah. They were obviously relying on the the quote unquote cheap labor of the guys that are that are under their six years of major league control, where they were just throwing their kids out there. They cheap were throwing labor. cheap labor. They were just throwing out the kids in the farm, and they only spent forty four million that year compared to a team like the Yankees in twenty fourteen, where they spent one hundred eighty four million. So okay, I guess so. You. So I that I think that definitely is being manipulated, and I think we talked about this last week, Renato, where. We can see that this is this can easily be brought down to four years of ma- of team control before you can enter free agency. Wouldn't you say so? I I one hundred percent agree. I think I think you guys. You know what I think? What, what do you What do you think, bro? I think you Yankees fans <laughs> are, just, are still trying to get Matt Weeders from the Orioles. <laughs> that, that's that's what I think. You guys, from the second they that they, 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 they drafted, you're like, when, when, when's Matt Weeders going to be available? When's Manny Machado going to be available? It's like, that's all you guys care about, man, is, get, is getting other teams good young players. So you, it could very easily be four years. How about make it two years? You know, shorten <laughs> the way even more until you grab up everybody. Let's make it one year. Let's make it one year. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Go back to the re-entry draft where the Yankees could just outbid for anybody and everyone. Come on, man. Give give these small market teams some life. Six years. That's how, that's how it should stay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, give a, give the small market teams like the San Diego Padres. Why not? A, sh- a shot to sign Bryce Harper. Why not? Yeah, like the, the, the Padres are the weirdest team in baseball. They no are doubt. Baseball. Because they, yeah. they feel like a small market team, but they don't act like one. Right. They think they're like the Dodgers. Spent. And they can't. They can't do that. They're they're yeah. absolute failures at doing that. Matt Kemp. <clears throat> All right. So anyway, in the 1981 season, the Yankees made it to the World Series with a very lackluster offense. Yogi Berra was in his final year. Greg Nettles was the team leader in home runs with 15. Ooh, Greg Nettles, my boy. Reggie Jackson had his final year with the Yankees. He had 15 home runs. Dave Winfield had 13 home runs. Oh, now, remember. Yeah, what, a, what a team. Now, now, remember, this is a shortened season. 
and the Yankees had a sub 500 ER had a sub 500 record in the second half of the season. But that's because it's fine because they clinched the division and they clinched a playoff berth based off of how they did in the first half of the season, based off of these weird playoff rules. So that, are, you, are, are, you, are you telling me that the Yankees won the division that they just coasted? Well, possibly. Possibly. I'm so sure they're giving away games, would you say? I, well, I don't I don't know. I, I wasn't watching the 1981 season. But <laughs> you can just know how concerned you are about giving away games. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Aaron Boone throwing the white flag. Um, But the, I'm sure the exigency wasn't there compared to the first half of the season. But so they were basically relying, based off of a lackluster offense, they were relying on their pitching. Now, Renato, you're going to yeah. like some of these names. Ron Guidry. Oh, yes. Tommy John. Let's go. Let's go. Surgery. Dave Rigetti. Let's go. Pitching coach. Rich Gossage was the closer. Goose. Goose. So this Yankee bullpen was absolutely 100% stacked. As stacked as it is now? No. <laughs> Yankees bullpen and, and the rotation. I would, you know, I, I would, I would say that the that the Yanks rotation I, I back I then. Can, I can answer that question. The rotation, yes. The bullpen, no. Okay. There also weren't as many relievers because starting pitching. Starting Remember pitching. men back then. Because I guess men. they pitch complete games every game, man. I would pitch yeah. that complete game. I would pitch nine, ten innings every game, man. Yeah, I mean, even though Rudy May had the highest ERA for a starting pitcher, he Ooh. still got almost 150 innings. Rudy Ooh. May. Ooh. Rudy May. He was a starting pitcher. I never heard of him. Okay. Um, so, George Steinbrenner, very, very upset about, about yeah, RIP, very, very upset about losing the World Series that year, where basically he had a statement ready to go right after the game. And this is credit to David Pinto of baseball musings for the quotes and kind of like the overall story. So the before game six had ended a grim Steinbrenner prepared a terse statement. I want to sincerely apologize to the people of New York and the Yankees fans everywhere for the performance of the in those world series. I also want to assure you that we will be at work immediately to prepare for 1982. And then this is another quote. George has never learned how to lose. He thinks being a good loser is a sign of weakness, and that's not how life is. You're going to lose sometimes. So I guess that person disagrees with what George thought. Um, the next day, Steinbrenner called up for a press briefing. So this is a, the next day after, I guess, they lost the World Series. Uh, Steinbrenner called for a press briefing and explained his newly hatched plan. I'm tired. And again, everything in this episode mirrors to something today. I'm tired of sitting around. This is an actual quote. Tired of sitting around and waiting for someone to hit a three-run homer, he said. To be a big inning team, you have to have speed and will be going for more speed. So not contact, not average, speed. Thus, Steinbrenner embarked on a mission to turn the Bronx Bombers into the Bronx Burners. Home runs were out. Speed was in. First, he traded for a potential free agent, Ken Griffey Sr., who huh. was just Ken. I guess he was just Ken Griffey at the time. Or yeah. was Ken Griffey Jr. born? I don't know. Ken Griffey. His next step was the signing of David Collins, which brings us to one of the worst Yankee free agent signings ever. 
basically, Steinbrenner just overwhelmed Collins, a whopping three-year, $2.5 million package that was ludicrous even in those free agent days for a player of Collins' limited ability. So again, we talked earlier in the episode about how owners were spending left and right, and Steinbrenner was one of those guys, even for Collins, who actually he had to he had to call George Steinbrenner and actually check and see did you actually offer me this much money he actually had to do that wow because the Yankee outfield was overcrowded with talent at the time you had Dave Winfield Ken Griffey Jerry Mumphrey all at spots Lou Pinella Bobby Mercer they were still around as reserves and then also at that time that Collins was signed. Reggie Jackson was not let go from the team yet. Interesting. But he would be. But he would be. And first base was occupied by Bob Watson. So there was no room in first base either. Hmm. Although John Mayberry was their first baseman. John Mayberry. Look at that. Yep. So listen to this quote that Steinbrenner said. So during that call that Collins had with Steinbrenner, he asked, am I going to get playing time? Did you actually offer me this much money? Are you stupid? And George (laughs) Steinbrenner says, stupid. That's a direct quote. He said that. I know, I know, but he said that? No, no, he didn't say that. I'm just comparing. And, and George Steinbrenner said, yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, George Steinbrenner said, yes, I am stupid. Don't worry about it. You will get more at-bats than Winfield. What? <laughs> what, a, what was George smoking? Two, I don't know. But That's spring awesome. training, 1982. The camp had been turned into a circus by Steinbrenner. Consider the development of March 2nd, less than a week before exhibition games were beginning. The Yankees showed up for a workout, only to be informed that there would be no workout, at least not in the usual sense. Instead of hitting, throwing, pitching, you know, typically what you would do during a base a baseball practice, mm-hmm. they were told to don their sweatsuits and head back to the field to run 45-yard sprints what? under the direction of Harrison Dillard, former Olympic hurdling champion, who had been imported by Steinbrenner as a special training instructor. Steinbrenner was going crazy, man. Dillard's assignment was to teach the Yankees to run. He was to... Hold on, hold on. He thought that literally having people that can't run, that 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 would be a good use of their time. The people who can't run really that you know no 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 bad no fielding practice no batting practice running yeah that, that was yeah. the grand idea yeah he was uh to scrutinize the running styles of all the players and then offer tips on how to improve each one's technique man Wasted. brutal no wonder they went 79 and 83 <laughs> Steinbrenner said, you can't underestimate the importance of speed, who reminded his players that he had been a champion hurdler in his college days at Williams. (laughs) Oh, my God. George Steinbrenner yelling at these guys doing 45-yard sprints. And even even though the only thing you have to do in baseball is run 45 feet from, like, one base to the next base, George Steinbrenner is yelling at you as an owner of a baseball team you got to learn how to run. Run faster. I ran, I ran in college. I was a hurdler. <laughs> Craig Nettles said they must have used high ankle hurdles in those days. Because nobody, because baseball players weren't fucking jumping like, Olymp, like Olympic athletes. 
Bobby Brown, the talented young outfielder, turned in the best time, sprinting to the finish line in 5.18 seconds to beat Jerry Mumphrey at the Yankees' day at the races. Collins, meanwhile, our newly, we're going to get him more at-bats than Dave Winfield, he he had come through with flying colors for Steinbrenner in the sprint. He was paired against Winfield, and he edged him out, even though Winfield jumped Yogi Berra's command of go. Can you imagine Yogi Berra actually, like in one of the last years of his career, doing these 45-yard sprints? I, I can imagine that he would probably retire on the spot. Absolutely. Imagine there's like an alternate universe where Yogi Berra tries to come back for the 1982 season, and then George Steinbrenner's like, okay, we're going to do 45-yard sprints now, and then Yogi Berra retires on the spot. He He's retires. Like, right. You know what? He's be like, you know what, George? I'm sick of your nonsense. By I'm the way, here. who's this Bobby Brown guy? He didn't make. He didn't make the team. He George Steinbrenner really liked the way that he ran, though, because Collins, even though. Dave Winfield jumped Yogi Bear's command of go because he wanted a whistle instead of a catcher's mitt. Even though Dave Winfield had a head start, Steinbrenner went out of his way to congratulate Collins, who was now beginning to realize that this was anything but an ordinary baseball team. Collins said, I don't think any team ever had a spring training workout like this one, shaking his head. I just don't know why we're obsessing over a mediocre-ass team. That didn't that didn't do shit. There's there's a reason why we're obsessing over it, Brett. There needs to be a moral of the story soon. I'm getting bored. I did some math. Mm-hmm. Some math so math. so obviously the 1981 Yankees the Yankees team wasn't the most successful offensive team, but there is some merit because they did make it to the World Series, and also because of the strike, there was 107 games in the regular season. So with the 50 day break. There's obviously numbers are going to be a little skewed, but I did some, you know, what the Yankees were on pace for. Um, so in the 1981 season, the Yankees had a 252 team average, which was number nine out of the 14 teams in the American League. So there were 14 teams in the American League. So remember that. They had 100 home runs, which was second in the American League. They had 421 runs, which was 11th. They had a seven seven. They had a seven seventeen OPS, which was third in the American League. They had forty seven steals, which was number eight, and they had number four. They they had four hundred and thirty four strikeouts, which was fourth in the American League. So that's not. Those are overall pretty pretty well. I would say maybe besides the average, pretty good offensive numbers. The OPS was third, and overall. They were on a pace to hit 151 home runs. They were on a pace to score 637 runs. They were on a pace to, to steal 71 bases, and they were on a pace to strike out 657 times. Now, the 1982 Yankees had an emphasis on speed, right? Emphasis on speed. We're not just going to hit three-run home runs. Listen to these numbers. So you would think that their average would be higher, right? You would think that the average would be higher for these guys, right? Because it's you're emphasizing speed. You're kind of taking home runs out of the equation in theory by signing these guys that don't hit as many home runs, right? Okay. So here's where I have to stop you, man. Okay. Three run home runs are the backbone of baseball. But George Steinbrenner didn't think so at the time. Well, he was wrong. All right. But all he had to do was ask Earl Weaver. 
And this is why I'm going to tell you that he is wrong because the 1982 Yankees, their average, they had a 256 average compared to the year before they had a 252 average. At least it went up. At least it went up where instead of number nine in the American League, they were number 11 in the American League. So they were worse in that case. Ah, shucks. 1981 season, the Yankees were on a home run hitting pace of 151. They had 161 in 1982. So they actually technically hit more. They scored 709 runs, which was number eight in the American League, where they were on a pace to score 637 in 1981. They had a 726 OPS in 1982, so it slightly went up from the season before. They had 69 stolen bases in 1982. Now, in 1981, they were on pace to steal 71. So they actually, if they kept on the same pace in 81, they would have stolen more bases in the 81 season than 82. So that's embarrassing. You put the emphasis on stolen bases, and you can't even do better than the pace of the season before. And then strikeouts, they had 719 strikeouts, which would have been more. They were on more of a pace than 82 than 81. So... 719 strikeouts, which was still number three in the American League. You're right, Brett. George Steinbrenner was wrong. I'm right. Of course I'm right. And and you know how we were talking about free agency before? Yes. You know it'd be a cool time to talk about maybe the top ten worst Yankee free agent signings? It'd be a great time right now. Be a great time right now? Yeah, I I think it'd be a cool time. Okay. Well, let's talk about one in particular. Yeah. And then also, it also involves a story behind it, which this, is, this story is a lot quicker than explaining the complications of the 1981-1982 baseball seasons. Okay. The first one that I want to talk about. Now, Renato doesn't necessarily think that this was a terrible free agent signing. Yep. Jose Contreras. Hmm. I'm, I'm, Jose Contreras was on the Phillies, too, I think, after the Yankees. Yeah, he went to the White Sox and then to the Phillies. So the Yankees signed him February 6, 2003 for a four-year, $32 million deal, and especially coming off of El Duque, the successes of El Duque in the Bronx. The Yankees wanted to try to strike twice with uh, Cuban star Jose Contreras. Now, the Yankees and the Red Sox were both competing to sign Jose Contreras. I always love, I say this very often, that the Evil Empire Yankees, I love that nickname. And I never knew, necessarily knew where it came from. But once the Yankees signed Jose Contreras to this big contract, to, not to the big, well, I mean, to this, to this free agent deal, that's how the Yankees got their nickname, the Evil Empire. The new ownership of the Boston Red Sox came out and said that the Yankees are the Evil Empire. So what the Yankees went on to do, eventually in 2008, they actually won a lawsuit where they had that phrase copyrighted that they would actually profit off of that phrase. And that's why you hear whenever you go to Yankee games now, they're playing Star Wars music to introduce yep. the lineup. So that's where all that comes from. That comes from actually one of the worst signings in Yankees history, free agent signings. And then it also comes, we have to thank the Boston Red Sox for kind of coining that term for us. Thank you. But I'm also going to disagree about Jose Contreras, though. Talk about it. Yes. Was it a lot of Matthew Contreras? Yes. But the guy was decent. The guy the guy knew how to pitch. Did, did it show up in the numbers in the Yankees? Not exactly. But this guy was a good pitcher. And he proved it once he went to the White Sox as they won the World Series when he, when he got there. 
Well, I mean, he only pitched 18 games and nine starts. So, so he, he didn't have enough, enough uh, numbers for New York. But, but from when I remember seeing him, I liked the guy. I don't mind him. Did you like him in pinstripes, though? I liked him in pinstripes. I don't mind him. And his, and his nine starts? What, what was his stats, Justin? Give us his stats. It wasn't just nine starts. Well, maybe he had nine starts in one year. Yeah, nine starts in 2003, 18 starts. Yeah, it seemed like he had a lot more starts than just in nine 2004. Starts. His one, his good year was he went seven and two with a 3.3 ERA in 2003. But in 2004, he fell off uh, eight so and five. What you, in 03, he was good. He was part of that, that World Series team in 03, and he helped them, he helped them get to the World Series. And who'd, you, and who'd you lose to, man? Who'd you lose to? The Florida Marlins, sir. How? I, I, I'll give you two names. You know, you want me to give you those two names? What what names? Miggy. Yeah. And Beckett. Gotcha. That, I tell you what. I tell you what. You compare the lists. You compare the lists of the Yankees' worst free agency signings. In the Red Sox ones, it's an absolute laugher. The Red Sox have way more terrible free agent signings. Way more. Carl Crawford? That ring a bell? <laughs> Carl Crawford. <laughs> what about Pablo Sandoval? <laughs> you like Pablo? You like that guy? Oh my God. Wow. And they're still they're still paying Hanley Ramirez too. I mean, the Yankees are absolutely brilliant compared to the Red Sox when it, when it comes to free agency, actually. Yeah, the Yankees have a plan, usually. <laughs> and usually the Yankees are I was just putting in perspective just to say that while we're picking on them here for bad free agent signings, they're not actually bad at this. So we, mentioned, so we mentioned Dave Collins in 1981. He only made it one year. So he was signed for that three-year, $2.5 million deal in 1981. He was traded one season later. He had 26 steals and 95 games for the Reds in 81, and then he did not add, answer the call for George Steinbrenner's uh, speedy Bronx Burners movement, nor did that entire team, and he basically debunked the whole um, contact versus speed and power because the team wound up hitting more home runs and had a better OPS anyway, but I digress. What are some other free agents on this list now, you guys have a lot of much more stronger opinions than I do that maybe you disagree with, you agree with. Um, will give me maybe one or two free agents that you want to debate on this overall list. Ooh, 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 please, 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 please. Arguably the worst, absolute worst three agents signing the Yankees have ever, ever, ever done. Brad knows this one. Yeah. The one, the only. Call Pavano. Pavano Palooza, baby. And for all you Yankee fans out there who were growing up in the in the 2000s, you know all about this guy. He was arguably one of the best pitchers in his free agent year. I th- I think he was a runner up for Cy Young, I'm pretty sure. Naturally. He won Cy Young? I think he was a runner up. I don't think he got it, but I think he was, oh, he was top. He was, he was top in pitch in the National League. I remember this. Yeah, he definitely got some votes for Cy Young. And, well, you're fact checking here. Don't you call Pavano for you, for you youngsters out there? Was Sunny Gray 2.0? Except except Carl Pavano was signed for a four year thirty forty million dollar deal. Right, <laughs> and, and, and and like Sunny Gray, Carl Pavano can, can't handle New York. And you got jealous. New York. You guys got jealous. Hurt. 
He he was essentially a Sonny Gray and Jacoby Ellsbury clone because he always got hurt every year anywhere. So it's not like I'm just saying you guys got jealous. Shut up. Of because who? he was on the Marlins before and they beat you guys. Was he was he on the Marlins in 03? Yeah. I don't think so. Was he? He was. So that, so that, that, that was George Steinman trying to get revenge on the Marlins right there. Yep. And, and then we signed him right in 04. Yeah. In 05. Be, 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 the 04 offseason going into 05. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that was George's big move to, to um, complement the, uh, the 04 loss. Probably one of the most funniest uh, injuries that I've ever heard. Um, in between kind of like his injury-filled days and there were a lot of times where his teammates would question his desire to return the, to the field. Um, <laughs> he suffered a bruised buttocks at one point. He did. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. He did. And then he uh, and then he went to the Twins, and he actually pitched pretty well, unless he was facing the Yankees, which the Yankees right. shelled him. Right. That was that he they sh- he shelled the we shelled them in the eleven playoffs. Well, the yes. ten playoffs. Was it the eleven playoffs? Fact check. We got fact check on them. There were multiple times. There were multiple times where the Yankees shelled them. So I, I remember in a particular instance, it it was I think the Yankees were down one against them, and then Lance Bergman got like a bases clearing double. I remember this. Cool. All right. Any other any other names you want to bring up that this that that you disagree with or agree with on those lists? How about uh? There's actually a funny story that goes with this too. How about uh? Keigawa. Twenty ten. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> Renato, you were right. 2010. 2010. Thank you, bro. Oh, my God. Keigawa. So the Yankees wanted to sign Keigawa because they couldn't, because the Red Sox signed Dice K. Matsuzaka. My God. Yeah. Ooh, talking about names, huh? Going back to the Stone Ages here. I, I remember when, when the Red Sox and the Yankees were both competing for Dice K. The Yankees were so pissed that they lost to the Red Sox. So they're like, you know what? Let's get another Japanese guy. We got this guy named Keigawa. He's so good. He's dominant. So they signed a $20 million signing fee. Am I right on that? $20 million signing fee? Yeah. And, it and- was a, they, they paid $26 million just simply to negotiate with him. $26 million to right. simply negotiate. As part of the uh, agreement between MLB and Japan at the time, they had to negotiate before um, signing a contract. And then it was a five-year, $20 million deal. And he actually stayed for the majority. He stayed for the whole deal. Oh, I know. I know he did. You know how I know? The guy lasted about a year, year and a half in the majors. Stunk to join up. Yankees put him in, in Scranton, and he never saw the face of the earth after that. Now, again, credit to this Pinstripe Alley article, article who brings this up. But in, in Joe Torrey's Yankee years, there's a funny story in here. So I'm going to read I, this. I, I, I'm going to read this excerpt. That's her. Bullpen Ketchel. Bro, Bullpen catcher Mike Barzello, Borzello, Mike Borzello was assigned to catch Iwagawa's first throwing session in spring training. Borzello was looking forward to it, especially after Billy Epler, the assistant to Brian Cashman, have raved about Iwagawa, Igawa to Borzello. Did you catch him yet? Epler asked excitedly. No, Borzello replied. Just wait, Epler said. He's got a nasty changeup. You'll see. Igawa threw to Borz- Borzello at Legends Field. Borzello could not believe this was the same guy Epler was talking about, the same guy to whom the Yankees gave $46 million and the same guy the Yankees wanted instead of Lily. I caught Kay Igawa, Borzello said. It was awful. He maybe <laughs> threw th- he maybe threw three strikes out of 25 pitch- pitches. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Time out, time out. How many strikes? 
Three strikes out of 25 I, pitches. Oh, my God. Well, you know what, Justin? I 100% agree with that because that guy was the wildest human being on the planet. The changeup was horrible. I was reaching all over the place for his pitches. Epler saw Borzello after the throwing session that day. So what did you think of him? Epler asked. The truth, Borzello said? Yeah. He threw three strikes the whole time. His changeup goes about 40 feet. His slider is not a big league pitch. His command was terrible. Epler was stunned. I'll tell you this, Borzello continued. I hope he's hurt, so there's an explanation for throwing like that. Oh, really, Epler said? Really, Borzello said he was terrible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. So if the, if the catcher told Billy Epler that, Billy Epler was probably pissed. He's probably so pissed. like, damn, there goes all my money. I'm done. <laughs> all right, so uh, any any kind of any kind of final thoughts before we before we wrap up? Like I said, like actually like Brett said, Brett, like like you mentioned, the Yankees should be thankful, right? That they have yeah. too many bad bad free agent signings. But there were some terrible ones that I lived through. <laughs> we got the Carl Pavanos and the K Gowers of the world. Those those were pretty sad times in Yankee Land. Kevin Euclidus. You know no, you know. Yes, that was that was a bad one, but it was a one year deal, so it's not it's not the end of the world. Come on, at the time the Yankees had one of the highest payrolls in baseball, like two hundred twenty million. So an extra twelve million for you because Lynn really hurt them. Brett, do you have any final thoughts? Well, I'm just glad we could talk about uh, the '81 and '82 Yankees. Those were uh, two uh, definitely two baseball teams right there. Those were those were two baseball teams. Um, this was kind of like our first attempt at kind of like telling a story, recreating a story for everybody. So we'll see how it went. Tell me what you think. If you didn't like it, if you don't want us to do this anymore, hey, Bleeding Blue. I, I, I got remember. an idea, actually. Yes, go ahead. I think for our next podcast, what, what, what did you, you mentioned something about this before, didn't you? For our next podcast, what we should do? Oh, yeah. Our, our, our draft, our free agent draft. I, I think that that would be a really good idea. We, 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 you know what we could do? We could either revisit like some of the old free agent classes. Yeah, we could. And then we'll, we'll play play scenarios. See, maybe if your favorite team out there would, would get like a big name free agent. Who knows? Yep. How the baseball would change forever. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, 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 dum. dum, dum. That's going to do it. Hopefully, uh, Manny Machado or Bryce Harper don't sign before Monday so I can just release this and I can have no worries about that. So. We will see you on Wednesday for a Giants episode. The Giants episode is going to be pretty fun too, since there's not a lot of news. We're just gonna we're gonna do an interesting format. We're gonna hopefully recap our David and I's top five favorite Giants regular season games of the last ten years, and Ooh. then also yeah, and then also we're gonna be recapping the Super Bowl too. So there'll be some conversation on that, and uh, I think that's gonna be it. So. Go Yankees, go Yankees, go Yankees, go Giants, go Giants, go Giants. And uh, just keep on keeping on bleeding blue, everybody. Peace out.